Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Stuart Wiley, welcome to the uh, Center of the Universe. I did not mean to catch you in mid-gulp there, drinking <laughs> your water, but I appreciate you driving all the way from Louisa. Took you a little over an hour to get here. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate you doing that, and I know you and I connected through your dad knowing my friend Silent Rob, and, and yep. here we are. Yeah, he told me um, you, you guys were looking for somebody from the Air Force. He said he, Rob ran into him. My dad was wearing an Air Force shirt. He was like, were you in the Air Force? He's like, no, my son is. So so here it is. Yep. That advertising on a t-shirt works. <laughs> yeah. Got, it got us here together on the podcast. Yeah. So did you grow up in Louisa? Uh, I grew up in, well, we started in Louisa and then moved to the next county over in Fluvanna, which is where I went to school for all the way from fourth grade through high school. So Fluvanna, the Flucos, right? Yep. Uh, light blue mm-hmm. uh, uniform. Yep. Okay. We, I played uh, Fluvanna one time in high school basketball way back in the day. Okay. And we went to Fluvanna. And it's, yeah, it's closer to Charlottesville than it is Richmond, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, Louisa and Fluvanna, both very very uh, rural, agricultural kind of uh, yep. things. What did your family do? How did they make a living? Uh, well, my dad was state police. I think my mom is a paralegal for as long as I can remember, at least. Um. My stepdad has been an attorney. He's had all kinds of different jobs. Worked for the FBI. He works for the DOJ now. Okay. Um, not a hundred percent sure exactly what he does, but you know. well, I mean, but jobs that you can do from anywhere uh, yeah. in the country, pretty typically, yeah. especially your your dad and your mom. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, state police. Did you ha- do you have interest in being a police officer? I did. Um, I, I've always wanted to join the military. Um, and I thought about doing it afterwards, but then I just kind of decided not to. Uh, I want to pursue more aircraft maintenance-related type stuff once okay. I'm actually separated from the Air Force. Because you're still technically on active duty right I now. I am, yeah, until February. But you have a sweet beard right now. Thank you. <laughs> I've been working hard on it. Yeah, it's, uh, How long have you been growing that bad boy? <laughs> Since August. Okay. Yep. You going to keep it? I'm gonna try to, yeah. <laughs> All right, right. Uh, you, you'll do what I do. You'll keep it until you start getting gray, but you won't have to worry about that for a while. <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend says I need to trim it, but uh, yeah, my wife. I, I grow a beard <laughs> once a year, and uh, my wife says, "Can you please shave that off?" And she says that to me for the first month, and then she realizes I want to keep it for a while, and she said, "At least keep it neat." And then I, I don't really keep it neat either. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things you can do. There are kits you can buy, but it just seems like a hassle. Yeah, I, don't, I have like a little brush that I use, but I don't. Yeah. I don't use it that much. Yeah, you, um, it just seems like too much maintenance. Yeah, pretty and, much. And, and I, I don't just, know what the return is for that. Kind I of just kind of let it do what it wants. Yeah, right on. That's the way it should be. <laughs> yeah. All right, so when you were a kid, like seven, eight, nine years old, what were you doing with, uh, when you weren't in school or doing something with your family? Uh, usually either baseball or probably fishing. Okay. We played a lot of baseball. What was it about baseball? I I, I do not know. I just We started playing it when I was – Big enough to walk, and ever since then, I just loved it. T-ball, yep. uh, <clears throat> dad pitch kind of thing, yep. and then eventually kid pitch. Yep. I played um, I mean, I mean, played all the way up until I was 18 years old, I think, before I joined the Air Force. Okay. Um, I played rec league. I played school ball. I played travel ball. I played showcase. Like, 
Yeah, t- explain Showcase to me. I'm too old to know what Showcase is. So Showcase is basically travel ball, but you don't play to win tournaments. So you go to these tournaments and... It's like you're modeling. You're, you're walking on yeah, a runway yeah, exactly, kind of thing. Exactly. You, you show up and we were too young really for scouts to actually come and watch us, but they would be there you know, every once in a while. But you go and you have a set number of games you're going to play and you play them and you go home. They don't really care about who wins or anything like that. It's so weird. You're there to showcase your talents, and that's kind of the... But there are nine players on the field yep. on, on your team, mm-hmm. but they're all playing basically as individuals. Yep. They're basically like doing their darndest to be noticed. Yep, pretty much. Did that result in weird things happening on the field ever? Not that I saw, really. I mean, we had a we had a good group. We were, we were pretty talented as a group um we played two years in a row in the world wood bat championship in okay. georgia um i don't both years i don't think we played very well in that tournament but i remember one year we went down and played there and then on the way back stopped in myrtle beach and played in a tournament there we ended up placing third well nice that was the some national championship or something i don't remember exactly that's pretty cool though yeah so what is it about showcasing versus an actual tournament where you're trying to win the games? Why are, how did showcases even become a thing? I don't understand it. I think it's more just for the scouts to get looks at, at players um, and then travel ball. So it's just entirely kinda... about being noticed by professional scouts. Yeah, because those tournaments are hosted by colleges. Like the, the travel uh, ball tournaments, we would go and they'd be hosted by different organizations and stuff and played it. You know, like these big complexes or whatever. The the showcase tournaments were hosted by specific colleges. Oh, so these are college scouts. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did pro scouts ever show up? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Were are there showcases? You think that are looking at college and high school kids? Oh, I'm sure there is. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So, what position did you play? Uh, pretty much anything, really. Um, so you when, must be right-handed because lefties can't play everywhere. Yeah. Um, when I was growing up, I I played shortstop and third base, and my favorite was pitching. I wanted to be a catcher for some reason. Mm. Catching Don't know fun. why. Yeah, and then destroyed my knees. and It's not good for your knees, for sure. Yeah, um, but my favorite was pitching. That's what I did the most of. Um, and then I played some outfield, first base, just kind of filled in, so, really. So everywhere but second, it sounds like. Yeah, pretty much. And you probably played <laughs> second once or twice, I'm guessing. Yeah. So you had a strong arm. You must have to play third, short, and pitch. It was okay. <laughs> strong enough. Yeah. Yeah, so what is it about pitching that you really like? I just I love being in control of kind of the pace of play. Mm. I could, you know, basically work how I wanted to work and wasn't really relying on anybody else to uh, control the speed or anything. Yeah, like you that. dictated the cadence of the entire uh, right. thing while while you're on the field. Right. Yeah. Uh, did you have a decent bat? No, I was never good at hitting. <laughs> really? <laughs> I think that's part of the reason why I enjoyed pitching was knowing that. Oh, well. Pitchers don't ever really hit. <laughs> At least half the time, you're, you're, yeah. you're going to be enjoying yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when you pitch, were you, uh, sounds like you weren't an overpowering pitcher. Did you have great placement? You could put it kind of where you wanted, or did you have like three or four pitches? Yeah. I mean, I had a couple of different pitches that I really liked, um, but I felt like I had really good control of placing my fastball and then working with the off speed pitches and stuff. Yeah. I uh, did not pitch very much. As I, in the high school, I pitched a lot as a kid. And as I got older, I realized my arm wasn't strong, my my fastball wasn't very fast, and mm-hmm. I couldn't put anything anywhere near where I wanted to. I didn't. I, I was amazed by guys like Greg Maddox. If you remember Greg Maddox, he could put mm-hmm. the ball anywhere, and he he couldn't break a, a 
paint a glass, but <laughs> yeah. he could put it wherever he wanted. And he had a couple nice pitches, and he pitched for over twenty years. It's crazy. Yeah. Big Braves fan, by the way. <laughs> I'm a I'm an Astros fan. Oh, Stuart, oh I, I, I'm, I'm I wish sorry. I actually don't even like the topic of baseball. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm actually kind of a Braves fan because the Richmond Braves were here in right. town for a long mm-hmm. time, uh, and I've been to that new stadium or new park a few times. And uh, yeah, I'm happy for the Braves. That that was cool. And they yeah. had, they, they weren't supposed to even make the playoffs this year. No, because uh, I've been watching. I think the past two or three years, I've watched basically every game that I could. And so watch you, watch, you watch full games? Oh, yeah. Even like in May? Mm-hmm. Yep. What, what is it about watching baseball? So I, I, I love playing like you do, mm-hmm. but like watching a full game, I, I can't do it. For me, I think it's just specifically the pitching. I know kind of like being able to predict like pitch sequences and stuff. Obviously, it's different because they, you know, they change it up every couple of years, so it's not the same thing forever. But right. being able to understand kind of the thought process and techniques that go into it, it makes it a lot more interesting than somebody who never played or anything that just sits down and is like, well, this is boring. Are you trying to predict what the pitcher's going to do next? I do a lot, yeah. And do, are you right most of the time? Uh, 50-50. Like I said, <laughs> they, they change it up. and So it's kind of hard to pick up patterns because they're changing it up so much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you, What was your best pitch? Um, Probably my curveball. Was it 12-6 to six or was it more three-quarter? Yeah, yeah, it was a 12-6. And it just dropped off a table. Yep. Yeah. Well, I was started probably way above their head. It wasn't very fast, and you know, it start. Was it kind of like, like a looping curveball? Pretty much, yeah. That's unusual for righties. <laughs> a lot of lefties do that, but yeah. righties tend not to do that. Because I didn't have a lot of velocity, so. Did I you could, think? Sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. I could, uh, you know, throw a fastball, place a fastball, and then kind of throw that, and they're like, kind of throw them off a little bit. That's. I mean, it sounds like a severe change of speed for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Did you think about playing in college, maybe? Yeah, I talked to um, a coach at EMU, Eastern Mennonite. Yeah. Um, they didn't have the uh, they didn't have the program that I wanted to study at their school, so I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. What did you want to study? Aerospace engineering, which that, is that's the hard. reason. Yeah, the reason I joined the Air Force. Okay. What was it about aerospace? So when I was in high school, Fluvanna High School had a really good engineering department. And when I was a junior, I took like the intro to engineering type sure. thing. Yep. And then they had kind of other classes that kind of stemmed from the intro one. And one of them was aerospace. I did like the um, computer engineering and aerospace and all that other stuff. And I showed up the first day to this aerospace engineering class and the teacher was like, okay, today we're going to make paper airplanes. And I was like, what in the world? Doesn't That's sound very weird. complicated. Yeah. I was like, That's weird. And then he kind of set up this little, I guess, obstacle course, you could say. We would go up to the front of the class, and you'd have to throw the paper airplane. And he had two chairs up on desks, and he had a broomstick going across it. And you had to throw it underneath the broomstick and go back up and hit the back wall above the counter. Mm. And so, like, if you throw it and it goes, you know, straight, you get, you know, a C. If you go under and back up, you get a B. I'm hoping this wasn't it. a big part of your grade. No, I mean, no, no, no. <laughs> no. We had a lot of really cool projects like that. And it sound, sounds super simple, but they got more complex as we went along. And it was just extremely interesting to me. And I was like, you know, this is something I want to do. So it sounds like every day going to class, you look forward to it. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's great. All right, I should go back to a couple things. You, you did mention fishing. What is it about fishing that, that you enjoyed or still enjoy? Um, well, when I was growing up, you know, my dad and my brother hunted a lot and mm. 
it was just kind of boring to me to be honest and my brother had ended up killing a deer a lot younger than before I killed my first deer and I guess that kind of hooked him before me right uh no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) um but fishing was just more interesting to me than just kind of sitting there in the cold and hoping something walks out right um but yeah. when you go fishing, are you fairly confident you, you're good enough at it that you, you're going to catch something? Depending on where we go, yes. Is, <laughs> we it, have a, is it all fresh? Yeah. Well, we usually just do like pond fishing type stuff, bass okay. fishing. Um, but yeah, we had one spot where we'd go catch some pretty big fish. Bass in particular? Yeah, largemouth. And then we do a little bit of catfishing, that type of stuff. Do, do you eat catfish? Mm-hmm. Well, you, I, sorry, do you eat bass? No, not bass. We that, just catch them and put them back. Yeah, that's why is that? Does it not, they just don't have a lot of meat on them. It's not worth. Yeah, flounders worth cer- it. flounders certainly do. Yeah, yeah, flounders can be really tasty if mm-hmm. you uh, cook them. Oh yeah, uh, it's in certain ways. Yeah, uh, so I I can't believe I didn't ask this. I I don't know the answer to this question, and I could Google it, but I don't like googling things. I'd rather find out in a different way. It's more fun for me that way. Mm-hmm. What is a fluco? Uh, I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. I've heard a couple of different stories. Um, I think the somebody told me a story about there was some like somebody running track or something, something about them running super fast, and it became a shoe, like a flying shoe. Mm. And the Fluco is an abbreviation of Fluvanna County. Ah, take so the FLU, kinda, yeah, and so CO. they just kind of put that together. That's probably what it is. I would assume so. Yeah. The running thing with a shoe, I, I maybe. Well, because that was a logo for a long time, and then it just became like an F with the wings. Okay. That seemed kind of weird to me, but yeah, I don't, I don't decide that <laughs> stuff. Who, who, who am I to say? I'm not yeah. from, from Flu Man to teach their own. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I guess somebody in the uh, school board or board of supervisors for Flu Man said, yeah, let's, let's yeah. go with that. Fluco makes sense, I guess, huh? It's unique. Know. That's for sure. Yeah. There aren't Flucos anywhere else in, in the world, I don't think. Not that I know of. Okay. All right. Nice. <laughs> All right. So you, you really got into aerospace engineering in high school, at least that class, your your senior year. Mm-hmm. And that led you to like, hey, I want to go pursue this. And a, a great route to do that is the Air Force. Yeah. So uh, one of my buddies in high school, he had decided, I don't know how he came to the decision, but he decided he wanted to join the Air Force. And I kind of thought about it and I was like, that's not a bad idea, but I wanted to go to college and get my degree and then go be an officer. So... I actually got into the STEM program at PVCC, the science, technology, engineering, yep. math, all that stuff. Um, PVCC, Piedmont, Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Charlottesville. Um, so I was playing Legion baseball, actually, after I graduated high school. And we had traveled probably three or four hours away to play a baseball game. And I was pitching in this game. Why did y'all travel so far? I, couldn't tell you. <laughs> wow, because you, you were you could travel to Richmond, you could travel to Charlottesville. You could even probably travel north and not go three or four hours and play a bunch of teams. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly where it was, but it was a long drive, long enough that my mom didn't even come to that game. Oh, wow. She, I mean, she had other stuff to do. but um, So I'm playing in this game, pitching. I think we got to like maybe the third, fourth, maybe fifth inning and left a fastball over the plate and got hit right back at me. Hit me right in the ear. Oh my gosh! Spent the night in the hospital. So wait a minute, it hit you in the ear, and you because you turned the side of your head towards the yeah, so, path of the ball. Yeah, so I turned to my left and I put my hand up, and it kind of mm. glanced off my hand and just hit me right in front of my ear. Luckily, it 
if it hit any lower, it would have broke my jaw. I was going to say, well, it's right where the, the upper skull touches or connects to your jaw, right? Is that about where right? It yeah, it kind of hit like right on that cheekbone, like right in front of my ear. Mm. Um, ended up spending the night in the hospital, and I was my mom had convinced me to take summer classes at PVCC, so I'd done an orientation class, which was a week long, and it was eight hours a day. And then the second class that I was taking was an intro to engineering class, and because of the orientation class, I missed the first class of the engineering one Mm. they were like that's fine you can just go to the second one make up that work well the night before the second class period of that intro to engineering was that game Mm. so i spent the night in the hospital got home at you know four o'clock in the morning or something didn't make it to the second class i got to the third class and i was so far behind i was like that's almost impossible at that point yeah i was like i'm so far behind like this is ridiculous um, I was like, why don't I just enlist in the Air Force? Because your buddy had talked about it and you had looked into it a bit. Yeah. But that wasn't the, the primary path. At, no. At least until you, until you, that got, happened, you got yeah. to phase three, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the night in the hospital, was it because they wanted to check you out? or were the, and Meaning you had maybe cracked part of uh, the bone there or concussion, all of the above? Yeah, so uh, I think they kind of assumed that I had a pretty bad concussion and did x-rays and all that stuff to make sure I didn't have any like broken bones or anything. Um, cause I had obviously like swelling and a bruise on the side that's, of my that's face. It's horribly and then, scary. Yeah. If I was your parent and I saw that happen, I'd be like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. My mom definitely drove up there then. Yeah. Well, yeah. You're in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But at least it was uh, overnight and, and it ended up being a pretty bad concussion, but nothing more than yeah, a, not, a bad concussion. It wasn't concussion. too bad. And you don't have memory problems or anything like that. Um, I've had, Plenty of concussions, so that one was kind of like, huh. Uh, from baseball? Baseball, football. I got one playing dodgeball one time when I was in middle school. <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> uh, so I kind of, you know, you like run up and you throw the ball, and then some guy had thrown one over my head, and I turned around to go run, get the ball, and some other dude was running the other way, and right there above my right eye. Was he on your team, the other guy? Yeah, he was on the same team. He was running towards me, and I turned around to go get the ball. And we ran straight into each other. And then right there above my right eye, hit right on his forehead. Oh, Got a concussion from that, too. Did you uh, get stitches from that, too? No. Okay. My eye swelled up pretty bad. I couldn't really see the rest of the day. But Oh, my gosh. Didn't bust it open. So you so. kind of put yourself out there, mix it up in the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. How many concussions do you think you've had? At least, I'd say four, maybe five. Okay. At least. Keep your head safe. Yeah. <laughs> put, put, put some bubble wrap on your head or something. Yeah. All right. So you said, I'm going to go into the U.S. Air Force. Did you have any idea what you were getting into? No. Um, so I went and talked to the same recruiter that my buddy was going through. So he kind of referenced me. And so I went in and talked to the dude. And um, did this is like Char- the, Charlottesville? I actually had to drive all the way to Stanton. Oh, my gosh. Because there was, there was supposed to be an office in Charlottesville, but it was closed for some reason. Huh. So. Whenever I went to join, that office was closed, so I was having to drive all the way from Fluvanna to Stanton. That's well over an hour, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you got to go up all the way over the mountain. Yeah. Right there at Waynesboro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right, so what did he uh, tell Did he shoot straight with you, that recruiter? Kind of. A little bit. <laughs> I don't want to say he lied, but... Um, Re- recruiters uh, are crafty i'll we'll say that yeah that's definitely true um <laughs> well and the, at the time what year was this 
2015. One of my questions I always have for people is, did the Air Force need people at that point? Because they haven't always needed people. Uh, same is true for all the other services. And, and you can tell when, when they need you, there's all these giant bonuses that mm-hmm. they put out there. You get paid X now and Y down the road kind of thing. Were there bonuses available? Uh, not for the job that I got, which was weird because when... So I went through basic training and then tech school and all that. When I got to my first base, we were severely undermanned. Mm. So it was super odd to me that, that there doesn't was make no sense. bonus for that. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. And then, you know, after I've been in for, you know, a year or two, I see people coming in like, oh, I haven't gotten my bonus yet. I was like, what What bonus? Yeah. You did, was, So you, they didn't even talk to you about a bonus. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, you were actually in for a while and... And found out there were bonuses for certain jobs. Yeah. So they, well, they base it off of needs, obviously. And I guess whenever I joined, there wasn't a need for my job. Or their understanding of needs, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. That's probably what it was. They were probably a little disconnected from reality. Right. Yeah. All right. So when you joined the Air Force, how long was basic for you? Eight and a half weeks, I think. Seven and a half. Okay. Something like that. And where was that? Where did you In go? San Antonio, Texas. It's not a bad place to do basic. No. And I went in February, so it wasn't hot at all. What's the Air Force Base there? Lackland. Okay. So it's a joint base, San Antonio Lackland. What uh, What were your fondest memories of basic? Um. Well, actually, the the first night. So you get there, you get to the airport, and they put you on a bus, and they take you to this um, the facility or whatever, and you know, you, they park the drill instructors come on the bus and they're yelling and screaming and you're trying to figure out where to go and what to do and all this other stuff and eventually they take you into this auditorium and there's you know hundreds of people just sitting in here waiting and you don't know what you're waiting for you're just kind of sitting there waiting to be told what to do and uh so eventually you know they call your name you go down and they put you in your flight and your specific drill instructors will come down and take your flight up to your dormitory how big is a flight I think it was like 50 or 60 people. So a little bigger like than that. an army platoon kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think they kind of planned for people to drop out for various reasons like health and PT, stuff like that. Because we have people that, you know, couldn't run a mile and a half. Right. And they somehow made it to basic training. Yeah. Um, so they came and got us. And at this point, it's probably midnight. And they take us up and they have us all in the... It was this room where we would do like training or whatever they had. It was just an empty room with a big whiteboard. We'd mm-hmm. all sit on the floor and they had us filling out paperwork. Like you, like you were in a kindergarten class. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, exactly. It, I was like, this is weird. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> so I'm sitting there like on the floor filling out this paperwork. And this one dude is just kind of like staring off into space. And he's sitting right next to me. And I'm like, dude, you better do something. Obviously, I didn't say that. I'm thinking that in my head. Yeah. And, uh. He's just staring off into space, and one of the drill instructors notices, and he's like, what are you doing? And he just, you know, starts talking back and saying all this crap, and he's like, no, oh, whatever. Just being confrontational kind of Yeah, for, for no reason. I, I had no idea why. Do you think he had a screw loose, or do you think he was trying to get out of basic? Probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Um. So they're yelling at him, and he's like, you know, get out of my day room, yada, yada. Well, apparently... We didn't know this at the time. We just saw him get up and walk out of the day room. But a couple of weeks later, our drill instructor told us he had walked out of the day room, walked down the hallway, out of the dormitory, over to the stairs, and was like just trying to leave. And I was like, holy crap. 
Yeah. Apparently they they like called security forces and they came out and he swung on them and got arrested and spent. He just didn't. Know, he didn't didn't want to be there. No, but it, it was weird because the amount of time we spent in basic training, you know, we graduated and left, and he's still sitting in some jail cell probably there. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's not the way to go. Yeah, no. Just just do the seven and a half or eight and a half weeks, and yeah, yeah. going. Yeah, uh, that's. Security forces, by the way, for our listening audience, they're they're basically the police of the air force. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and by the way, I've I've worked with security force folks. Uh, they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I I love all, everyone I ever met. Yeah. Uh, so, basic teaches you what for the air force, and I'm asking that out of all sincerity because I don't know the answer to that. Um, I think it's more just to teach you good habits, really, because it wasn't really that hard. Um, the hardest part was just. You know, you get used to having your cell phone every day and you can't use it. Oh, yeah. I forget millennials. That's a hard thing to go through basically without <laughs> yeah. your cell phone. Um, it's just a weird thing to get used to and having to write letters and stuff. That was That's old school. Was, That's the stuff I was doing back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Well, nowadays, like in the Army basic training, they get their phones every week or really? something. Really? Like I heard like every Sunday they get their phone or something like that. They're getting I, soft, man. Yeah. I think I saw my phone maybe once or twice. Because you would have to give it to them, and they'd put it in a plastic case. And then you'd have to earn your time to get your phone and call your family. I think it was once or twice the whole time I was there. Earn your phone by not amassing a bunch of demerits, or earn your phone by doing a lot of positive things? Both, Okay. really. Um, yeah, it was. that was really the hardest part, because I was in decent shape. I'd been playing sports and all that, and yeah. so PT wasn't. So you're waking up earlier than you would have normally, but that you got used to that PT was, yeah, yeah you were a physical kid. And you're, you're work, working long days. It's like 16 hour days or something, but you know, you kind of, you go to a class and then you go do PT and then, you know, you're eating here and there. And that was one thing that really surprised me was the food at basic training was amazing. See, here's, I've been saying this for most of my life. I, I, I'm an army guy. The army doesn't know how to spend money. They, they overspend in some places, underspend in others. And it's just right. just sort of which way is up. And all of my army buddies that are in uh, finance and accounting, I apologize for this uh, rant. But the, the And the Navy's better than the army at it, it mm-hmm. seems. But the Air Force appears to be perfect mm-hmm. at it. And so it doesn't surprise me that basic training for the Air Force has awesome chow. Yeah. At well, all. to me, it, it made a lot of sense because, you know, you're burning so many calories, you know, marching around everywhere and, doing all this PT and stuff. So it makes sense to, you know, give people good food so that they can, you know, cause I was, I was 152 pounds when I left for basic training. I think I put on probably 10 pounds or something in eight weeks. Yeah. A lot of muscle, mm-hmm. but maybe a couple of pounds of fat just cause you're eating so well. Right. So you, you learned drill and ceremony. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you learned some protocols for, for the air force. Uh, you certainly learned how to get in shape. Was there anything that you learned in basic that was unique to the air force? You think? Um, not, not that I can remember. No. So you could have been in the army at that point. Yeah. I mean, we didn't really, cause we went, we had this thing called beast week where you kind of go out and stay in the tents. And when I say tents, I mean, air force tents. They had air conditioning. God bless you for saying that. <laughs> and I'm not th- even thank kidding. you. Thank you for admitting that. <laughs> no, there was these giant air conditioned Th- that, tents. You just made me very happy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they sent us out there in the field and we stayed in these giant tents and sleeping on cots with bug nets and air conditioning and all that stuff. (laughs) Um, 
but we had uh, they had some obstacle course that apparently was supposed to be part of Beast Week, but it was raining that day, so we never got to do it. <laughs> could you have you could have done it in the rain, or were they worried about people slipping off of higher obstacles and that kind of thing? I, I, yeah, I think that's what it was. People getting hurt. Yeah. But all right. So what what do you call the the training after basic training? Uh, we call it tech school. Okay. Technical training, that type of stuff. And when, you, all right, let's back up. When you were talking to the recruiter and you were signing some paperwork that says they actually can recall you anytime they want until you die. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what my, I'm pretty sure that's what my paperwork <laughs> said when I signed. Uh, when did you know what your path was going to be or what your skill was going to be in the air force? Did you know at the recruiting moment? Uh, no. So the way it works is, um, you go in and you kind of go through all the paperwork. And once you basically get approved to go to MEPS, which is a military entrance processing station. Um, they send you to MEPS and you do kind of like all these physical evaluations and all that type of stuff to make sure you're qualified because they're very selective nowadays. Um, and then you do like the ASVAB and like some other tests kind of like that. And then they give you... Do you know what the ASVAB... St- I'm not trying to test you here because I don't remember what it stands for. Uh, it's an aptitude battery, essentially. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly. Yeah. Um, but then you get kind of like your scores back, basically, based on everything they evaluated you on, and they send it to your recruiter. Mm. And then the recruiter will give you a list of jobs that you're qualified to do. Um, and mine was like t- like two or 300 jobs, like a ridiculous amount. How many jobs are there in the Air Force? I have no Maybe idea. two or 300? <laughs> Probably, yeah. I don't know. Um, so you're qualified to basically do anything? Pretty much, yeah. Um, so he gave me this list and he was like, pick 12 of them or something like that. Um, like rank ordered 12 or just 12 randomly? He's like, yeah, just take this. Here's a highlighter, highlight 12 that okay. you think you would like to do. So I'm like sitting there at his desk, like looking through him, like asking him. And I see one that said tactical aircraft maintenance. I was like, oh, that sounds cool. I'll highlight it. Not realizing that they were at least going to be severely undermanned when I got there. Right. Um, and I, I asked him, I was like, what is tactical aircraft maintenance? He was like, oh, you know, you mark on planes, get your get your name on a jet or something like that. I was like, oh, that's, yeah, that's cool. I mean, you want to be around planes if you're in the Air Force, right? Yeah, so that was kind of my goal was to, to work on aircraft because I wanted to do the, the aerospace engineering type thing. Um, he was also a crew chief, and he did not explain to me how badly that job sucked, <laughs> which was... Uh. Kind of made me mad. Yeah, after that's the that, that's the craftiness of uh, recruiting. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was a we call him heavy's crew chief, so he was on like um, C one thirties, like the bigger planes. They right. don't really C fives, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, they don't they don't have the um, intense flying schedule that the fighter jets do. They fly a lot more in the fighter jets doing training and stuff. Yeah. So they break a lot more flying. Yeah, the bigger planes are usually carrying troops or cargo or airmen, and they're it's. Take off, fly, land. Right. The the, uh, the fighter jets are doing a lot more than just that. Right. And they don't they don't pull the the type of G's and stuff that put all those components under pressure and stuff. I can't wait to ask you some questions about G's in a second. <laughs> but um, so you end up getting uh, maintenance, and you and you highlighted it as one of your twelve. Were you working on cars as a teenager? Or no, not really. I didn't really have a whole lot of like mechanical experience other than what I had done in that those engineering classes. So it was it was really interesting showing up and you know I I love working outside and working with my hands so it was really interesting to me at first like learning all that stuff. What was uh your uh, tech school? How long was that? 
So it was broken up into two parts. They have what they call cold training and hot training. So cold training was at Shepard Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas. Mm. Middle of nowhere. So you didn't leave Texas for... Uh, you stayed in the state of Texas. After yeah, I was there from February to August, I think. What part of the state is that in? I think it's like northeast. Okay, Wichita so Falls is northeast of Dallas. Uh, yeah, I think so, so. Near Arkansas, Oklahoma, that kind of thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We we made some drives up to Oklahoma. Okay, just to visit and see stuff. Not not a very uh, happening place. It's not Dallas or <laughs> no. uh, Houston or San Antonio. It was it was really flat, which was a new experience for me. I didn't really like that very much. Yeah, it, I, at that part of the country, you're it's like the Midwest essentially. Right. Yeah. People always joke about you know you can stand on a step stool and see the entire state, and that's <laughs> that really what it feels really what it feels like. So. That's funny. There's probably a little curvature of the earth going on in there, but yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. All right. So what did you learn in the the cold phase? So that was um, just basically learning about the different uh, different parts of the aircraft that we as crew chiefs would be working on specifically and how they all kind of tie together and just kind of like the basic stuff working on the old Thunderbird aircraft, actually Mm. the retired ones that weren't flying anymore. So we could go in there and, you know, these jets would be halfway gutted with a bunch of parts taken out and stuff and Mm. look all up inside of them. And the instructors could, you know, point out and show you how everything kind of ties together. So that was, that was really cool. Was it more academic? Yeah, um, yeah. Is, like, is that the point of the, calling it cold? Is like you're going to be in a classroom a right. lot more? Yeah. So they would kind of have like it was broken up into uh, sections where like you know if we're doing landing gear, the first couple of days would be in the classroom, like learning all the components and how they work and what they do and what they're used for, and then the second half of that section would be you know go out onto the floor and actually look and be like, okay, this is this part. This is why it does that and that type of thing. And this was just fighter jets. These are guys that were going to be crew chiefs, crew chiefs for fighter jets, or was it every aircraft? In the- no, it was uh, just for F-16s. Oh, oh that specifically. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they took kids out of basic that were going to be crew chiefs mm-hmm. and do tactical aircraft maintenance, and literally everything was about the one aircraft that they were going to be on for their first assignment after tech school. Yeah, so when you first show up, you go through what we called fundies. It was like two weeks or something, just kind of learning about basic aircraft parts. And then once you graduate from that, you move over to a different hangar where they have all the F-16s. Got it. Okay. So it was fairly general for the, those two weeks. and then Right. They get- just kind of teach you about, like, for people that don't have any kind of mechanical experience or anything, it's, you learn about, like, tools and that type of stuff, like, what is a ratchet, like that type of basic dumb stuff did you enjoy the cold phase it was okay i guess after a while it gets kind of monotonous right yeah Yeah. it's a it's a the best way to learn is to put your hands on it to actually see it and do it uh and so a lot of classroom you're you're retaining some stuff in the classroom phase but you probably learn a lot more in the hot phase right so the the hot training was um in new mexico at uh what was it holloman air force base is that near uh albuquerque uh, I think it was about three hours. So you were in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. Yep. Yeah. Almogordo, New Mexico. And it was funny because one of the guys in my class was from Almogordo. Really? His parents live like five minutes from the front gate. What are the chances? <laughs> it, it was crazy because he had his car there. So he had his parents <laughs> bring his car to him and he would drive us around. I mean, it'd be one thing if you were at a, a military base uh, near New York City and you're from New York City, but right. that part of New Mexico? Yeah. Um, and... 
it was funny because not a lot of people had vehicles when they were in tech school. My dad actually, I had a, a Jeep Wrangler, and he drove it down from Virginia to Texas. Wow. When I was in uh, Wichita Falls, he got out. Your dad's I, a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, I, so I walked to the front gate and I walked out and he was at, I think it was like a Sonic there or something. He had parked in the parking lot and I walk up and he gets out. And the first thing he says is never again. <laughs> Doing a solo drive that far. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had to stop for gas so many times. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> That's, it, Texas is not close to Virginia. No, <laughs> not at all. No. So I was one, basically the only one in my friend group until we got to, to Holloman in New Mexico that had a car and I wasn't 21. So I was always the DD. Oh, they loved you. Oh yeah. I made a lot of friends. <laughs> you, you, you were everybody's friend. Oh yeah. At least on Friday night and Saturday night. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But where, where could you go in that part of New Mexico? There's nothing to do, right? No. We, so we actually found, uh, there's a, like a mountain range like surrounding the base. Mm. So if you drive... It's like a bowl almost. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You know, you drive 10 minutes and you look like you're in Oregon or something. It's, you know, mountains and trees and stuff. Wow. It's just, super just, weird. Yeah, very different. Mm-hmm. So we, we found a spot up in the mountains that somebody had had a campfire at some point. So we were like, all right, well, we'll just come here on the weekends and have a campfire. Drink, <laughs> hang out. Drink a couple beers and yeah, you know, just be young men. Yep, yeah. pretty much. Very cool. So... The F-16, um, I, I don't know much about jets. It is, it's meant to fight other jets. It was, I think. Um, what, what, what did it do when you were working on it? Mainly just air to ground. Okay. Taking out like uh, SAM sites, like surface to air missiles and stuff, stuff like that. So were those rockets or were those bombs or both? They were rockets, Primarily, right? That the jets used. Yeah, they used all kinds of stuff. Hmm. Uh, I think. Yeah, I think it was mainly bombs. We didn't really mess with those. We had specific. There were ordnance guys that dealt with that kind yeah. of stuff. All right. So I, I've always wanted to ask an aircraft mechanic this: Were you ever, or were you constantly anxious about messing something up on the aircraft to the point that it became fatal oh, for yeah. the pilot? And by oh, the way, yeah. is the F sixteen <laughs> one or two? Uh, one one pilot or and a co-pilot or just a pilot? No, no, it's just one pilot. Yeah. Well, we have D models, but those are those are only used for training. Okay. Um. Yeah, we didn't really. We tried not to fly those whenever we can because those seem to <laughs> to break more often. So. Yeah. So all right. So back to the question of like being anxious, like all the time. Every time you were working on an aircraft, you're like, man, maybe we should quadruple check. Yeah, this stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, if it's if it's something that you know I'd done a hundred times and I knew exactly because we have uh, iPads that have every single job that you would ever do on that aircraft. Mm. There's step by step instructions on how to do it. So I would usually like I, if I was training somebody, I would either have it and be reading the steps out loud to them, or I would be doing it, having them read the steps out loud to me, right? So that you know, they're learning one way or the other. So there's pre-flight maintenance, I imagine. There's post-flight maintenance. The pilot's part of both pre- and post-maintenance to some degree because they have their own checklist, I'm mm-hmm. sure. But there's also ongoing maintenance where you had certain things that you had to do every week, every 30 days, that sort of thing. Right. Like, you guys had your hands on those aircraft a lot. Right, yeah. We call that uh, scheduled maintenance. Yep. So, yeah, we had, you know, certain stuff that we had to do, you know, every... 
50 flight hours or whatever, or every 30 days or something like that. Did you end up having a relationship with uh, pilots? Oh yeah. Especially when I was in Korea because you know, there's, you can't have your families there. Yeah. So usually the, the pilots would hang out with us when that's, we go out. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, are pilots as uh, cocky as I think they are? Some of them are. Um, Especially it, jet jet pilots. Yeah, you, you'll get those guys. You know, you have one in the batch that's kind of stuck up, but most of them were, were pretty cool and really appreciative of all the, the work that we put in. Yeah, as they should be. Right. Yeah, I mean, they get to do the uh, super fun stuff after you've been <laughs> worrying about the, the aircraft yeah. and yeah. turning a lot of wrenches sort of thing. Right. Yeah, um, so you were in New Mexico. How long was that? The hot that part? was only a month. Okay, and then, then you're assigned to your first squadron? Or? Right. So, well, actually, after my hot training was done, I did what we call recruiter's assistance. Okay. It was basically a week off (laughs) so you can go home and uh work for your recruiter and do you know basically whatever he tells you to do so he or she they they get you back in the uh it's only a week so it's not that big of a deal but back to helping recruiting that quickly after uh hot training yep wow Mm -hmm. okay so you can you can take leave after you graduate from all of your technical training you take leave and go home before you go to your first duty station and a lot of people will do the recruiter's assistance in conjunction with that leave. Mm. So you can go home and, you know, work for a week and take a week of leave. So you can be home for two weeks or right. something like that. Um, that's a good deal. Yeah. And you're not burning two weeks of leave. You're only burning one week. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yep. All right. So after that two weeks, you did that. You came home for a couple of weeks. And then where did you end up? I went to Shaw Air Force Base in South Carolina. Okay. Is that near the coast? Uh, it's kind of right in the middle of South Carolina. It was about two hours from the coast. Okay. I was also uh, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I, I, air, I, you can put an Air Force base anywhere where the, the land is, the government can grab the land, yeah. whether, whether it was 30 years ago or 100 years ago. Right. Um, I always tell people, Army picks the worst part of any state <laughs> to put a, uh, an Army post. It sounds like the Air Force has a nice mix of middle of nowhere, might be near water, might be near a big city kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So were you happy with that assignment? I was because I had never really been away from home for very long. So that was kind of a culture shock at first. And then being in South Carolina, I was only six hours away from home. So I could drive home on long weekends and see my family and stuff. So that was that was nice. Describe a day in the life of a, uh, a crew chief. Uh, it depends on what shift you're on. So... It usually it starts Sunday night with mid shift. They'll come in and basically they just worry about all the jets that are flying the next morning. So they're focused on servicing, scheduled maintenance, that type of stuff. Um, anything that's broke that's supposed to be flying, they'll they'll work that. If weekend duty didn't come in and try to fix it. Um, so then once they have all the jets ready to go, day shift will come in and they'll handle the flying schedule. They just do kind of launch and recovery and basic servicing as needed, um, like through flight inspections in between flights. And then usually swing shift will come in and jets will be in the air and they'll catch them when they land and do their post-flight inspections and get to work on whatever's broke. So basically maintenance is happening on those aircraft 24-7? If you have the manning, yeah. Because like, like I said, when I... When I first got to Shaw, we did, we did not have the manning to do maintenance on 
day shift or mid shift? If I'm a pilot or a commander, like a, a captain or a, a lieutenant colonel, I, I'm not happy with that. That's right. That's got to be scary. But then on the flip side, you know, I went to Korea and came back and we had 160 crew chiefs or something like that in one squadron mm. for 20 something jets, I think. That seems like overkill. Yeah. You know, we had 30 people on mid-shift, which is usually like a five-man crew. Wow. That's all it takes. And, you know, you, you come in on day shift, and there's 15 people just sitting in the break room. They're like, we don't have anything to do. And you said this was in South Korea where you had that many? This was in South Carolina. South Carolina. Okay. Yep. So uh, name, name all the locations you, you served. So my first duty station was Shaw in South Carolina, and then I went to Kunsan Air Base in South Korea. Did a year tour there, and then came back to Shaw in South Carolina. Okay, so you were South Carolina and South Korea. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be any, any different from each other, right? No, not at all. All right, so you're, you're doing the campfire thing in the hot phase uh, for your tech school um, in, in your spare time sort of thing. What did you do spare time at Shaw? Um, not a whole lot. Like I said, it's kind of the middle of nowhere. We didn't really have a whole lot to do. Did- Play video games and... Okay. Yeah. We we did some fishing. I had some buddies that I worked with that liked to fish, so we would go out at night and do catfishing and stuff. But Are there cool things to do on base? Not really, no. Yeah. There should be, right? They had athletic facilities though, right? Yeah, yeah. They had like softball fields and like you could go to the gym. They had basketball courts and stuff yeah. like that. Standard stuff that they had probably back in the 50s and 60s too. Right. Yeah. All right, so South Korea. Did you want to go to South Korea? Not at first. Because you can't drive home from South Korea. No, no, you can't. Um, no, I was when I was in South Carolina, I missed out on the first deployment that my unit went on because I'd gotten in some trouble. I won't won't go into that. <laughs> we are recording, so if you don't want it for posterity. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I missed out on that deployment, and uh, the next unit was coming up to deploy, and I went to my lieutenant, and I was like, I want to go on this deployment. And he was like, well, you, you don't want to go on the deployment. It's going to be a crappy deployment, yada, yada, yada. I was like, I don't care. Like, I'm Yeah, a, you should be the decision maker, not him. Yeah. On that. I was like, well, I'm a single airman. Like, I don't have any dependents, anything like that. Like, I'm not married. Like, this is the time to do it. Yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, just kind of gave me the runaround. I was like, all right, well, you can. Why did he care? I, I don't know. I guess they wanted to keep people there to keep the jets running. I, I'm not really sure. I can't really. Yeah. Speak to their reasons for their decision making. But I told him straight up, I was like, you can get me on this deployment or I'm going to put in for Korea. And putting in for Korea is like, they're, they're going to send you to Korea if you want to go. Not everybody's raising their hand to go to Korea. Right. Yeah. They're, they're always asking for people, especially experienced people. So he kind of gave me the runaround. And I was like, all right. I went and got on the computer and put Korea on my dream sheet. And a couple weeks later, had an assignment to Korea. Mm that's pretty quick. Yeah. For the Air Force. I mean the, the Air Force is not small. I wouldn't call it big or small, but it's a, it's a meaningful size and right. yeah, the meaningful sized organizations like that especially working for the government don't move that quickly typically. Well, you, when you get your assignment it's kind of like a notification like hey, we're sending you here and then it might be another 6 or 8 months or something before you actually leave oh, wow. to go. There's yeah. the government. There's yeah. the federal government. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz you there there's a whole list of things you have to do to out process to go to a different base. It's super annoying. You have to go through basically every agency on base. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's rough. Yeah. Uh, fighter jets in South Korea. I can, and we don't have to get into any sort of classified stuff, but 
Uh, we certainly shouldn't. <laughs> but I, the, the mission over there for a fighter jet, I, I imagine, is more of a show of force sort of thing. Yeah, they, they didn't really talk a whole lot about that, to us at least. It's yeah. just kind of like, you know, make sure they can ma- fly. Ma- make sure the planes can fly. Yeah. yeah, make sure they fly. We'll deal with the rest. When you were working on them and you knew they were going to be in the air um, at some point in the next uh, couple of hours, did you ever have moments where you were more nervous than others, given how the, the jet may have come into you? No. Um I actually have another funny story about that. Yep. We, uh, well, I guess it's not funny. Um, we funny, had, funny, had done some funny odd. I'm guessing is where. Yeah, we're well, yeah. We, we had done some work on this jet, and I, I don't think I had anything to do with it. But um, I had actually. So when you go to Korea, you get what they call a mid tour. Basically, you get a month of leave where you can go off the peninsula. Mm. So I decided to go home. So. I had gone all the way up to Seoul. It's like a well. Hold hold on. You decided to go home. Where could you have gone if you hadn't gone home? Anywhere really. Anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. You could have gone to Australia. Yep. I'm going to Australia, man. <laughs> you went. You came back to. Wow. Yeah. Um. So I I had taken a bus ride all the way up to Seoul to the airport. Got on a plane. Flew from Seoul to Beijing, China. And then flew from Beijing all the way to Dulles. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was rough. What was that twenty plus hours? I think it was like sixteen or something. It's still rough. Yeah, but the crazy part was I landed, and once I finally got internet service on my phone, I had gotten a message from my flight chief, and or he had called me or something. I had a missed call, and then I saw one of my buddies texting me, said one of our planes had crashed. Oh, and I was like. Oh, definitely crap. not funny. Definitely not funny. Yeah. Um, so he, I, I saw that missed call and I was like, Oh crap. Well, I, I know what that is about. Yeah. So I called him back and he was like, Oh no, you're good. I was just trying to get some information. I was like, what in the world? That That's the ruse. Yeah. So n- nobody crashed. No, 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 no. It, the, the plane crashed, but I don't know why he called me. Oh yeah. Like I saw pictures of it and I, then I saw that missed call. And I was like freaking out. Uh, oh, he like, called you for a different reason. Yeah, I got you. Did the pilot survive? Yeah, yeah. He ejected, and mm-hmm. and that. How often do planes crash like that? I think. I mean, very rough estimate. We don't need to. In, in the amount of time that I was in, maybe three or four. And in, you, how long were you were you in before about you went on? Five and a half years now. A little okay. over five and a half years. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's good in some regards and not so great in others. Yeah. Um, and all the pilots survived because... All but one. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the ejection thing is... You've talked to pilots that have ejected, I'm sure. Well, I'm have you talked to anybody that's ejected? I don't think so, no. Not about the ejection, at least. I would love to talk to somebody who's ejected from a jet like that because it has to be an extremely violent experience. Yeah. I... Uh... When they were talking about that that plane crash, I had some buddies that were working EOR end of runway. They do like last second checks before the jet takes off. Like it's literally sitting there ready to go forward and take off. Yeah, so they do the same thing when the jet lands. So some of my buddies were down there doing the EOR checks, and they said they heard something and turned around and just saw a parachute just kind of floating down. Wow. They were like, "Oh crap!" Wow. But you obviously weren't there. You were. Yeah, I was. You're in, the in air. Virginia. Or, yeah. Oh yeah, in, in the air when it happened. Yeah. Uh, when you came home, you just hanging out with friends and family. Yep. Yeah. 
uh, I would have gone to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend at the time probably would have been mad. <laughs> well, oh, you had a girlfriend. See, that's that's some extra information that I didn't yeah, have. Yeah. If I had a girlfriend back then doing what you were doing, I might still go to Australia. <laughs> but it's cool that the Air Force would t- basically take you anywhere. Yeah. If you wanted to go to Manila, Philippines, no problem. That's where they would let you go. Probably, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I don't think any of the other services do that. I'm not sure. If you're deployed to a combat zone, those opportunities are there. Yeah. But, but, well, I guess you were considered in a combat zone when you were in South Korea. Uh, I don't know if they considered it combat or not. I don't think so. It's probably like a, it's, it's not stateside, that's for sure, because right. it's heightened security over there for sure. Right. Yeah, it, it's, I'm sure they wouldn't call it, consider it combat technically, but it's, it's definitely an elevated feeling. Right. I'm guessing. How close to the DMZ were you? Uh, we were, I mean, like I said, it was a four-hour bus ride north just to get to Seoul, and Seoul's like another hour to the DMZ from there. So you were in South Central, right. Southwest, I think. Okay. Did you well, did you get to experience the culture over there? Yeah, for a little while. I got there in July of 2019, and it was a year tour, so I was there a little over halfway through when COVID hit. So that uh, kind of put a damper on things. Yeah, I imagine uh, they had a similar reaction that we had. Theirs was weird. Um, we didn't really slow down at all. We just kind of kept up with the same same pace, but we weren't really allowed to go off base. Mm. They didn't tell us you can't go off base, but they were like, you can only go off for essential reasons. And we didn't really have any yeah, essential it, reason to go off base yeah, other than it, to drink. Everything you had, everything you needed, you, you had there on the base. Right. right. Uh, did you get to experience a lot of the culture before COVID hit? Yeah, uh, we went up to Seoul a couple of times. We went up. There's another air base up near Seoul, Osan Air Base. Mm. We would go up there and visit because we had a bunch of friends that were stationed up there. Um, yeah, we went out and ate the food. I love Korean barbecue. Mm. Korean barbecue is really good. Is there any around uh, Central Virginia? I'm not sure. I haven't looked it up. I bet there's something here. There probably is. Yeah. It's good. It's really good. You've had actual Korean barbecue, right? <laughs> I had Korean barbecue like in Atlanta, Georgia. It's yeah. probably different. No, it was it was really good because I'd had it in uh, Vegas because we'd go out to Vegas a mm. lot from Shaw to do training. Yeah, um, I'd had it there and then went to Korea and had the real thing. That was it was really good. And you and you ate a lot of it. Oh yeah, uh, I th- I imagine being in South Korea, the South Koreans are fans of Americans. Yeah, some of them are and some of them aren't. And you can usually kind of tell because um, most of them speak at least a little bit of English. And sometimes you can kind of tell when you're trying to communicate with one of them and they're trying to act like they don't know English. Yeah. And you're like, I, I know you know what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> um, like when I first got there, my buddy was saying, you know, you got to take this bus and go here and find, you know, a base cab specifically that'll bring you on base. So I went and found a cab and I was like, can you go on base? And he's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, on base? And he goes, yeah. I was like, all right. So I got in the cab with all my bags, and he drove up to the front gate and pulled over, and he's like, here you go. <laughs> I was like, this isn't on base. And he knew what he was doing, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is it they don't like foreigners? Is that kind of the vibe? I mean, they tolerate the foreigners, but they're not super ecstatic that yeah. foreigners are there. Um, the ones, the Koreans that own the bars that we drink at a lot, they, made they a really like those. Sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but the other ones didn't really seem to have an opinion one way or the other, really. Was, they were sort of neutral. Yeah. Uh, did you feel safe when you left base? Oh, yeah. 
Did you go off base in uniform? No. No. Yeah. Okay. No. And then COVID, were the masks everywhere, six, like, social distancing, that sort of thing? Oh, yeah. Did mm-hmm. they have any other uh, things that they put in place that maybe weren't happening back here? Not really. It was the same type of thing. The thing was, I think everybody got COVID and got over it before it was a thing. Mm-hmm in the United States. So Cuz they were they're not far from where it all started. Right. So when I went on my my mid tour, I left in the first week of December of 2019 and came back that first week of 2020 or the no, it's the last week of December. So right before 2020. And then that weekend of New Year's, I got extremely sick. So you and caught it then, you think? I I'm pretty sure, yeah. But they didn't have the testing in place to be able to know for sure? I, I don't know if they did or didn't. I went to the doctor <clears throat> after suffering for three days, and he's like, yeah, sounds like the flu. Gave me a bunch of medicine and kicked me out. So he called it the flu? Yeah. And, and I, I guess I'm not a COVID-19 uh, expert, but it has a lot of similarities in terms of symptoms right. as the flu. As far as I know. <laughs> and I'm guessing I'm looking at Silent Rob for this because he's my crack research staff. Uh, COVID-19 is a form of flu? Am I making that up? Probably am. Yeah, we're, well, some Silent, type of Silent, Silent Rob is letting me know that some sort of virus. Yeah, it's, it's in the Corona family. Right. They're both in the Corona family. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's enough on that because, yeah, we're, we're not going <laughs> to. We're, we're, not, we're gonna, not experts. We're definitely not experts, and I don't want Silent Rob Googling because I know he enjoys <laughs> taking notes so much. Uh, so you, you came back to Shaw after. Well, hold on. Let's talk about Korea a little bit more. <clears throat> Did the world freak out from your vantage point when you were in Korea? Did I think everybody that I was with in Korea kind of freaked out because of the stop movement. So when COVID hit and, well, hit the United States, they were like, all right, nobody's PCSing anywhere. Nobody's moving bases. So we were like, mm, okay. But we had people separating, like getting out. And obviously they had to let them leave. And they were, and a lot of those guys that are getting out there like, I'm ready to go. Right. So they were separating from the Air Force and leaving, but we weren't getting anybody in. And our workload oh, was So we were letting people go back to the States, but we weren't letting people come into Korea at the time? Right. Yeah. Okay. But it was only the people that were separating. The, yeah. Not, so, not the permanent change of station folks. Yeah. Right. So Korea is supposed to be a year tour. And they told us, you know, nobody's going anywhere until we figure something out. And everybody kind of freaked out like... Korea is only bearable because you know how long you're going to be there. And when they tell you, we don't know how long you're going to be here is kind of freaks you out a little bit. Were you counting the days before all this happened with COVID? Oh yeah. Yeah. And so, so you're counting the days and then now you can't count them anymore because they're saying we don't know when you're leaving. Yeah, exactly. That was, that was kind of the worst part of it. Wow. Uh, I don't want to say it's like a prison sentence, but it's like you're you're still ready to leave. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how we described it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you experienced it. I did. Maybe it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just kind of like, like groundhog day, get up, go to work, come home, same dorm room. Yeah. Was there any part of your job that wasn't aircraft maintenance? No. Uh, did you think about making the air force a career? I did at first until I figured out what this job was. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I want to do this for 20 years. Could you have done something else in the air force? I probably could have cross trained, especially with the number of people. But again, they base that off of Manning. Mm. So if your career field is undermanned, they won't let you cross train out of it. And and so your career field was undermanned the whole time you were in? Well, no. When I reached my point of being able to cross train, we were overmanned, I think. Uh, at least at Shaw, we were. If you had uh, cross trained, what were you going to maybe do? 
at that point I'd already decided I wanted to get out. So I was like, I was like, nah. So how long were you in when you realized you weren't going to do it another, you weren't going to extend beyond your initial enlistment? Um, probably two, maybe three years. Okay. About halfway in. I kind of gotten kind of the same way at Shaw where I was just like, this is the same thing every day. Like I want, want to do something new. I wanted to deploy and then they were like, no, I was like, all right, well, I'll go to Korea. It might be the same job, but at least it's a change of scenery or something. Right. It's not uh, the East coast of the U S right. So got to Korea. And then after like a month or two, I was like, well, this is the same thing every day. This is already kind of boring. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird irony that the job is super important, but it's also can be monotonous after you've been doing it for years. Right. Yeah. Um, do I imagine there are crew chiefs that do it for 20 plus. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they love it. They don't, they don't, mind the monotony i guess no i know because one of my buddies he he plans on staying in basically to to try to become one of those leaders that takes care of his people that are underneath of him not necessarily make sure jets fly he may, he takes care of the people that take care of the jets right yeah and i found in my experience the way i see it is if you take care of the people they'll want to take care of the jets and that kind of feeds itself i guess yeah, yeah that's a good way to think about it so you're back in virginia you're s- still technically in the air force but you're not doing air force things at least right. not directly so what is that program called so the program is called Skillbridge. okay and i'm pretty sure it's uh dod sponsored so any branch could do it huh um basically you just you separate from whatever branch six months early and you take an unpaid can anybody do that yeah if really? You know, 25 year, 30 year chief, you could do it. The way I found out about it was uh, one of my buddies that I met in Korea, he worked for a senior master sergeant that was doing it that told him about it. Then he told me about it. And I was like, I don't know the, why. The Air Force didn't uh, try to put that out widely? No. Huh. Because when I found out about it, I started telling people and they're like, I've never heard of that. Yeah, the Air Force probably doesn't want the senior guys talking to the junior guys, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But it's a program that's out there, and it sounds like uh, it's available to anybody. Right, and it's a great program because you can kind of explore what you might want to do when you separate. It's a really good idea. Yep. Are you making? But you're not making Air Force pay right now, or are you? Yeah, so I'm getting paid by the Air Force, but I'm, it's an unpaid internship got or it, apprenticeship. It. So it's a cool so, way to do an unpaid internship, have... Uh, U.S. Air Force pay you. Exactly. Yeah, and it's for six months. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, so you can explore what you might want to do, and you know you can always decide after your apprenticeship or whatever is up that, well, I don't want to do this. I'm going to find something else. That's re- it's, it's really thoughtful of the Air Force, though, to take care of their uh, their, yeah. their airmen that way. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, like I said, the, the lady that ran the program at Shaw said she had done it for the Army for a while, so I'm pretty sure it's DOD-sponsored. How long has it been around, do you know? I have no idea. Yeah. What's the uh, skill that you're trying to pick up now or refine or hone? Uh, well, I'm just doing kind of construction work right now. Like I said, I, I like working outside, working with my hands. And yeah. Learning that type of stuff would be a good good skill to have. What do you think you might do with it? I don't know. Um, just something that I wanted to learn and see if it was something I might like doing eventually. It, it's uh, every 20-something's worst question, but what do you think you want to do with the rest of your life? And by the way, I'm 52, and I, I can't answer that question. Um, I don't know. Um, I put in an application to, to Lockheed Martin, so mm. hoping I get that job. Here's something by the end of this week, so tomorrow or early next week about that job. And 
What's the job exactly? Uh, it would be, so it's a production supervisor. So building the brand new F-16s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you'd be great at that, right? <laughs> yeah. Is building better than maintaining, you think? I would think so. Cause Do you like building things? Or are you a Lego guy? Were yeah. You ever a Lego guy? <laughs> oh yeah, I love Legos. Okay. As right. a kid. So, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's kind of a dream job for you. Yeah, uh, I would think it would be a lot better. I would assume it's new parts, so you don't have you know old faulty parts. It's like putting it on here. I don't know if this is going to work or not. We'll figure it out. I guess. <laughs> yeah, everything should be brand new if you're uh, actually building them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So as long as you put it together right, it should work. That's that's really cool. Yeah, and if you're a Lego guy, that's that's you're, that's over the moon for you. Yeah, I've always loved you know taking stuff apart, see it, see how it works, put it back together. See if I can make it work again. Do you enjoy both equally, the taking apart and putting back together? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I guess I like taking it apart a little bit better. Yeah, as it relates to uh, construction, I, I'm great at tearing stuff up. <laughs> yeah. I'm not so great at putting it back together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and so are you still dating the same young lady that you came back with? No, okay. no. Mo- new girlfriend. On. All right, right on. <laughs> we should, is your new girlfriend going to listen to this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, yep. we, let's stop talking about the old girl. <laughs> All right. One thing I've always wanted to ask an Air Force guy, when you went through basic, were there stress cards? Uh, I heard about them, but I never, so never this, saw them. So this was something they did, like, 2000, I, I'm making these years up, but 2008 to 2000, whatever, and, they, and they've stopped doing it, it sounds like. At least they stopped it when, when you went through basic. They they might have had them. Um, like I said, I, I never saw them, so I couldn't tell you if they were around or not. So if they were around, they weren't obvious. Right. Yeah. I, I had this impression, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago that they were prevalent. And if you just didn't like the way you were being talked to, you could flash some card, say, leave I'm me stressed. alone. Yeah. No, that, that's kind of dumb in my opinion. Really dumb considering what we ask uh, folks in uniform in our military to do. Exactly. It's, it's a lot of stressful stuff. Like yeah. you can't hack it in basic. Right. Some, some guy yelling at you or doing more push-ups. Like what are we talking about? So what we had was, uh, we called them 341s. This little piece of paper about that big. And you'd have them in your pocket in a plastic bag. And if you got caught doing something you weren't supposed to do, doing something wrong, whatever, the drill instructor would come up and say, give me a 341. And you would have to have like your name and your flight number and all that stuff already pre-filled out. Right. And he would take it and write on it what you did or what you weren't doing that you were supposed to be doing. And he would take it and then eventually your drill instructor would get it if it wasn't your drill instructor that took it. And then you'd get chewed out for that, which I also thought was kind of dumb. I think PT would be a lot more effective. Yeah. That That would definitely whip me into shape. Well, and why would they wait? I guess they wanted the drill instructor to have a fuller picture of who you were. Right. And so have him take care of all that. But, right. Uh, and I'm guessing the 341 they wrote in pen. Yep. And and did it stay as a record for you the entire time, or did you get new 341s? Uh, I think it did. I'm not really sure, to be honest How with you. How big were they? Were they like 8.5 by 11 and folded up kind of thing? No, no, no. They were just like little cards, basically. You'd have to write pretty small if a kid was really misbehaving. Like that guy you described <laughs> who was staring yeah. off into space. Well, I don't think they I don't think they pulled his 341. I think I got a little like bit more. Once security forces got involved, yeah, they didn't need that anymore. Yeah. Very cool. What's your fondest memory of being in the Air Force? Oh, I don't know. I guess it's just kind of traveling and seeing different different areas because um, I had only been kind of up and down the East Coast and joining the Air Force took me, you know, to Texas and then New Mexico and I've been to Vegas a bunch of times and um, I guess I would have to say my first TDY to Las Vegas, uh, I got tickets to a George Strait concert. Okay. We were in the third row 
and we were right on the walkway where he came in. So I got to give him a high five. Nice. When he came in, that was. It's a good memory. Yeah, that was really cool. How old were you when you first time you went to Vegas? Nineteen, I think. Yes, you were nineteen or twenty. You weren't of age. No. You couldn't legally drink. You couldn't gamble. No. Yeah, because the eight uh, the gambling age I think in Vegas is twenty one. Yeah. Well, at least it is now. It was probably. There was probably no age back in the day, back in the wilder days. <laughs> yeah, now because they just have, like the waitresses that walk around, they just give you free drinks as long as you're gambling. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar. <laughs> Very familiar. <laughs> yeah, I learned that later on my Vegas TDYs when I became of, of age. All right, you ready? This is a completely wacky question that we end every uh, podcast with, well, most of our podcasts. All right, you're a talk show host. It can be late night, can be during the day, but it's your talk show. You're only going to have it for one day. One one hour, and you get to pick the guest. A female guest, a male guest, a musical group, um, and the, these people can be alive, they can be dead. Uh, the show can be about your entertainment. It can be about the world's entertainment. You can go for ratings. You could have try to have thoughtful or thought-provoking content. It's whatever you want it mm-hmm. to be. Who are your three guests? Ooh. So I'll start with a musical one. Um, I'm a big fan of Tool. I don't know if you've ever oh, listened to them. Come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. So listening to them and kind of watching their music videos and how they perform on stage, they're very abstract and they do things very differently. They're, compared they're, to, nobody else plays music like that. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think they would be a really interesting group. Or I, I'd, I'd listen to them on your show. Oh, yeah. All day. Yeah. That would be awesome. Um, uh, a male... I don't know. I guess I'd probably have to say Freddie Freeman. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I, what's not to like about Freddie Freeman? Yeah. He's got um, a pretty cool story, too. Yeah. Yeah. I've been watching him past couple of years, and I'm glad they finally got it done. Yeah, the last time they had won was, what, 90? 95 was the last time they won. 95. So it's been a minute. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I've been watching, you know, the past four years, they've won the, the NL East, and you know, 95 was the last win in the World Series. 99 was the last World Series appearance. Right. They hadn't won a playoff series since 2001. Wow. So <laughs> I've been watching the last four years, hoping they do something at least. Each year they just kind of inch closer and closer. And then finally this year they Yeah, and like, like we were talking about earlier, they weren't supposed to even really do yeah. much this year. Exactly. Like not even make the playoffs, mm-hmm. not win their division. Yep. Cool. All right, who's your female guest? Ooh, I have no idea. I'd have to think about that one. Mm. Um, it could be a historical person, too. I have no idea. <laughs> it could be your girlfriend. Okay, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll go with her. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your family. Um, it's me and uh, me and my brother at the house with my mom and my stepdad. Me and my brother just hunt hunt during the winter and fish during the summer and you get along oh yeah we didn't as kids you said he's older he's younger he's younger two years younger than me oh, so um, you guys are pretty close in age too yeah 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 we did not get along as as kids yeah, yeah. silent rob needs names for, oh, for his uh, notebook brad <laughs> yeah me and brad did not get along as kids but now we uh we get along pretty good yeah, that's a fairly typical thing, I think. He's he's gotten really into uh, dog hunting, hunting uh, raccoons and stuff. He's got a mm. coon dog, so is that fun? I oh, guess yeah. it is for him. Yeah, 
because we do it at night, so we'll go out. He's a he's a member of a hunt club. And okay. Nobody else really coon hunts there, so we'll go out there at night and you just let the dog out, and she takes off running. And finds the raccoon? Yep. Who's And, and y'all are shooting the raccoon? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Does does the dog actually just po- essentially point to the raccoon? No, so we just let her out, and he's got a whole tracking collar setup thing, and she'll run, find a smell or whatever on the ground and follow it to whatever tree and mm. she'll stand there and bark at the tree until you pull her off of it <laughs> wow that's so the dog's doing most of the work yeah yeah that's why it's fun <laughs> <laughs> very cool uh how do you spend your time these and what's your girlfriend's name ashley ashley yep you've been dating for a while a couple months okay yep. all right right on uh and how do you spend your free time besides uh fishing and and raccoon hunting um deer hunting <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah uh, since deer season came in, been spending a lot of time doing that. How long is deer season? Uh, it started in September okay. or October, sorry. Um, and then it goes to the first of the year, I think. Very cool. And, and it's, uh, hunters are actually doing, uh, conservation work. Like deers not being hunted is really, really bad for agriculture and lots of other things. Right. And where we lived in, in Fluvanna, uh, is a good example of that. Cause they don't allow anybody to hunt inside the, cause we live in a gated community, mm. Lake Monticello. I don't know if you ever, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the deer in there are ridiculous. Cause I've been in there and played golf a couple of times. You'd be, you know, driving up the fairway or something, a pack of like 30 of them would just walk across the fairway in the middle of the day. Yeah. Wow. That's really unusual. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, they were almost like pets. You know, some of them would just walk right up to you. They'd maybe, maybe never heard a shotgun. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Very cool. And so, uh, are you going to live in Virginia the rest of your life? You think? Uh, if I get this job, I'll be moving back to South Carolina oh. to Greenville. Oh, that's where they they're building these guys. I guess they build yep. them all over the place. Yeah. Do you want to go back to that part of the world? Yeah, I mean, I liked it there. All right, right on. And cut, I mean, you're not too far from, from mom. Yeah. yeah. All right. Very cool. Well, Stuart, thank you so much uh, yeah. for being here tonight. I really appreciate your service uh, and, you. and taking care of those, those jets and, and those pilots <laughs> that had to fly. Well, thanks for having me. It's awesome. Thanks, man. Yep. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.